Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, when you were still innocent, maybe a little bit ignorant, you had that dream of what you wanted to be. Uh, I, I can tell you, when I was, was young like that, uh, the, what I wanted to be was I wanted to be a garbage man. <laughs> I just loved the idea of that big truck and throwing things around. It just looked like so much fun. Notice I didn't mention the smell. That, that never occurred to me. Um, but I can remember the period in time where I wanted to be a garbage man. And I can distinctly remember the day that I stopped wanting to be a garbage man. It was Thanksgiving. And I heard the garbage truck come down the street. I said, Mom, what is the garbage truck doing here? And they, well, it's Thursday. It always comes on Thursday. I go, they have to work on Thanksgiving. My mom goes, yeah. And I go, I don't want to be that. You know, I want to eat turkey. And, uh, and so that was the day I stopped wanting to be a garbage man. Uh, but I, I thought about that recently because my friend Whitney, her son Finn is three years old, and he is obsessed with garbage trucks. I mean, he just loves, loves garbage trucks. He waits every Tuesday morning for Jose. That's their garbage truck driver. They know him by name. And he drives down the street. Uh, Finn just turned three, and he had a garbage truck-themed birthday party. And, uh, and Finn even invited Jose to the, the, the birthday party. Um, sadly, Jose couldn't make it. He had other plans. Um, but, but recently, uh, Finn's mom, Whitney, my friend, got interviewed for The Atlantic on an article about why kids love garbage trucks. And it was really, really sweet. And this week, on Tuesday, she posted a little video of Finn welcoming Jose to their street. And I, I got permission to show you that video. So here it is. He doesn't get run over. Don't worry. So there's Finn, and the caption says, uh, where do you think Jose's home is? Can we go there and play? Um, but Finn just loves, Finn loves garbage trucks. And, and, and the article went on to detail, like, the reasons why kids love garbage trucks. I mean, it's like, it's like this huge, awesome, it's like a giant, you know, machine or monster. It makes lots of noise. It throws things around. It just embraces dirty smells. It's like a kid's, you know, dream. Um, you know, one kid in the article, he told his parents that when he grew up, he wanted to be a garbage truck. And his parents go, you mean a garbage truck man? He goes, no, no, I want to be literally a garbage truck. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Um, but, but it's just so, so sweet, so innocent. Um, and, and even think about what happens is every week, Jose drives away and Finn stands there waiting for him to come back. And that's even a little bit of the fun of the garbage truck is that it kind of comes at these consistent, regular times. And it shows up and you're waiting for it. And it's so exciting and he's there and then he leaves and you're sad and then you start getting ready to celebrate his arrival again. What's so funny, though, is that our waiting as a kid for a garbage truck is so different than how we wait now. Back when we were a kid, it was an exciting thing to wait. It was an exciting thing to wait for a garbage truck. It was an exciting thing to wait for Christmas. But now waiting doesn't seem so exciting. It just seems hard. And that's because for many of us, we've gone through long seasons of disappointment in the waiting. Waiting hasn't led to the arrival of Christmas. It hasn't led to the arrival of the garbage truck. It's just meant more waiting. And the challenge is, is when waiting becomes disappointment, 
quickly disappointment can become cynicism. And that's the unwritten story of the waiting room. Is that many of us, because we've gone through waiting, have experienced some feeling of disappointment. And right now I'm disappointed that I didn't spell check that slide because it should have one S and not two. (laughs) And then it leads us to cynicism. And, um, and cynicism will, will wreck your soul. It'll change the way you view the world, and it'll change the way you relate to other people. And most of all, it will radically change your relationship with God. And while you're in that place, if you become cynical in the waiting room, you'll begin to believe a couple lies. And we've been sharing each week in the series the lies that we hear in the waiting room. And one of the lies you'll hear in the waiting room, especially if you get cynical, is that you're missing out. While you're here waiting, something else is happening out there, and you're missing out on it. And long before we had a term for this called FOMO, the fear of missing out, humans were wrestling with this lie while they were waiting, believing that for some reason they were stuck here waiting while God was doing something, and yet they were missing out on what was happening somewhere else. And if if that one doesn't take you out, then this lie does, that you should just give up. See, if you get discouraged because of disappointment, and if that discouragement leads to cynicism, it will be very easy to buy into the lie that I should just give up. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work out. It's not going to arrive. It's not going to come. And so I should just give up. And over the last few weeks, we've been in this series called The Waiting Room, talking about this universal human experience called waiting. And even as we're waiting for the advent or the arrival of Jesus, even as we're waiting for Christmas to come, we're talking about how it's inevitable in our lives that we're going to go through waiting. Most of us are still struggling to get good at waiting, even though we've had so much experience. And we're looking at what can we learn while we're in the waiting room. And today, here's what I want to share with you. Our big idea is this. That while we are waiting, God invites us to keep watching for him. While we are waiting, while the waiting continues, while God tarries, while that thing that we want to come or that thing that we want to end is still not happening, while we're waiting, God invites us to keep watching for him, almost like my friend's son keeps watching for the garbage truck. And today we're going to get a story about a character, well actually some characters, that are very well known in the Christmas story, who not only waited, but they kept watching. And that had a huge impact on what they experienced. And their stories in the book of Matthew chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew's the first book in a section we call the New Testament. It's right after the book of Malachi, before the book of Mark. And in Matthew chapter 2, we, we learn about the story of this group that is commonly known as the wise men or the magi. And we're going to read their story this morning in verses 1 through 12. And at our church, we often stand to honor God's word. So I'd invite you to stand with me this morning as we read. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. 
And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told Herod in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd speak powerfully through your word. And we pray that our hearts would be open to hear. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. These, these characters that are at the center of Matthew chapter 2 that we call the wise men are, are familiar and unfamiliar to us. There's a lot of things we know about them from the story. We know they came from the east. We know they traveled a great distance. We know that they were insightful. We know that they came with gifts prepared to worship a king. But there's a lot of things we don't know about them. You know, traditionally in your little nativity at your home or one you may have seen, there, there's often three depicted. But we don't actually see from the text that we just read that there were three. We don't actually know how many there were. We just know they brought those, those three gifts. And yet, as I've been living with the wise men for the last few weeks in this story, I've been so impressed by what I've seen. Because I've seen what I hope one day I see in myself. What I hope I one day see in you and you see in yourself because of how you've gone through waiting. You see, as I've gone through this story, what I've discovered are four qualities that God builds in us while we wait and watch for him. Four qualities. And and here's the first one, patience. While we wait and watch for God, God builds patience in us. In the text, in Matthew chapter 2, this is what we read. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, I told you that we don't know everything about these guys. It's not like we get like a whole biography from Scripture. This is the only place that they're mentioned. So we don't know how long it is that they wait. They they may have just discovered about this prophecy about Jesus. They, They may have been astrologers who study the stars. They may have heard the prophecy. But it's very possible that they were waiting for years or even decades for this star to rise. It's also possible, according to some scholars, that they are the descendants of the descendants of the descendants of people who had been waiting and watching the stars. And that just impresses me so much. Because that requires incredible patience. Something that I often have 
very little of. I know this because whenever I'm on my phone and I get this alert called buffering, um, I turn into a different person. I mean, I used to be happy with 56K. We'd unplug the phone and plug the internet into the wall. I know for those of you under 25, this is the dark ages. But back then, you know, you shared the line and my mom would yell at me to get off the internet that she was waiting for a phone call. um, And that was our world. And now I get frustrated when I can't send something from my phone to the TV without it buffering. Maybe you've been in the doctor's office lately and, and the doctor was running behind. And you watched a grown person who seemed like a mature adult begin to berate someone who you knew had no control over the doctor's schedule because they weren't patient. Or maybe a few weeks ago you pulled out your Christmas lights. <laughs> And you realize that the only person you have to blame is you. Because last year in late December, you were lazy. And you didn't wind them up correctly. And now you pull them out and you're like, oh, who did this? And you go, me. I did this. I did this to myself. See, patience is something that most of us don't ask for, but we need. And when we lose patience, something powerful happens. You see, when we lose patience, we often lose perspective too. And if you're in a season of life, if you're in a waiting room and you are not being patient in that, I'm going to hazard a guess that you're struggling to have perspective too. You're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing things accurately. Someone else has to point out, hey, I think maybe you should step back a little bit. I think you're a little bit too close. I I think you don't see this accurately. For me, that voice that sounds often like the Holy Spirit also sounds a lot like my wife. It's a little bit frustrating sometimes. I wish God would speak in a different voice in my life other than just that one. But that's often what happens is that when I start to get impatient, what happens is I also lose perspective. And you say, Scott, how do we build patience? Well, we don't build patience the same way we do uh, muscles in the gym. You can't just decide, I'm going to make myself patient. No, patience in the scriptures is described as a fruit. And in the book of Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes that the fruit of the spirit, the work of the spirit, the outcome of God working in our lives is love, it's joy, it's peace, And it's patience. So if God is at work and he's alive and he's moving in you, one of the signs, one of the fruits of that is going to be a developing sense of patience in you. Now, I'm not an arborist. I'm not a tree expert. But I've never walked past a tree and heard it making noise. And if I did, I I was running away because it's going to fall on me, you know? But if you go past the tree and you see that there's fruit on the branches, you don't hear what I heard in the gym this morning. I had a guy in the gym this morning. I was there by myself. It was great. It was quiet. It was 5 a.m. No one was awake. But I was in the gym. And this guy came in and he was grunting like he was playing tennis. It was, I mean, I had my headphones in and he was louder than me. And every move is, ugh, ugh. And I'm like, what are you doing? But none of us have heard that from a tree. Can you imagine that you walk past a tree and you hear this, ugh? You'd be like, This is the weirdest tree ever. But all of a sudden, just a a fruit comes out of the branch of a tree. Not, boom, you know. (laughs) 
It just comes. Because that's what the tree was created to do. And you might say, Scott, I've been trying so hard to be patient. And that's why you're not. Because patience is not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And as you wait on God, and you watch for Him, and He's alive and at work in you, He builds patience in you. It doesn't come through your efforts and your strength. It comes through Him. That's the first quality God builds in us. The second one He builds in us is trust. God builds trust in us as we wait for Him and as we watch for him. Back in the text, verse 9, it says that after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, this may be hard to follow, but the reason that they went to Jerusalem is because that's where the star told them to go. But the reason they didn't go to Bethlehem is that the star disappeared. You know, they finished talking to Herod, okay? They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, it now went before them. Let me tell you, there's a a way that stars work. Every night in the sky, they rise, and they go from east to west, like the sun. The stars don't go north to south, but Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. So the wise men, they start on this journey following a star, and they're trusting that star, and then all of a sudden that star is gone. And they go to Herod. And they leave Herod, and all of a sudden, the star reappears. And it goes from north to south, five miles to Bethlehem, and it guides them there. And you go, Scott, why is that important? Because you have had the exact same experience. You've not followed a star, but you've tried to follow God. And what you were counting on was there, and then it was gone. Maybe you moved here to Prescott because you thought you were following God. And that sense you had was gone when you arrived. You thought you heard God tell you something, so you started following him until God went silent. And you go, what do I do? God, you were so clear, and now you're not. God gave you, you gave me that sign, and now that sign's gone. God, what do I do? And that's exactly what happens with the wise men. They had a sign, and then God took the sign away. And they had to trust him, even when the signs of him were gone. And so the question that that raises for me Is is your hope in the waiting room set on an outcome you want, or is your hope set on a person? See, if you get in the waiting room, and your hope is on that event happening, and that event doesn't happen when and how you think it should, then you'll begin to resent God, and you'll stop trusting him. Because you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in an outcome. And for many of us who claim that we follow God, we worship God, and we trust God, that gets tested when the things that we've counted on are taken away. You are in a church. 
and you were growing in your faith, something changed in that church. The pastor left. Your friends left. And you supposed that God was no longer speaking in your life. Well, was it that God wasn't speaking, or was it the people you put your faith and trust in that they left? You, th- you thought God had provided this job for you. He'd shown you this way. He'd given these things to you, and then now it's gone. You got downsized. You didn't get that promotion. You got a salary reduction instead of a raise. Was your trust in God or what God did? See, I often think that what happens is we're focused on an outcome when God's focused on a process. We're focused on God doing something, opening the door, ending the waiting room, bringing this thing, when God is concerned with doing something while we wait. And so often, I want God to do this thing, and God goes, well, while I do that thing, I'm worried about something else. I'm worried about making you the kind of person who can receive that thing, or do that thing, or step into that thing. I'm concerned with God opening the door, and God says, well, while the door is closed, let me go to work on you. We shared this quote last week, and we heard from so many of you about how God used it. Nikki Gumbel says, while you, who you are becoming while you're waiting, is as important as what you're waiting for. And so, so we have an opportunity while we're in the waiting room, am I going to trust God even when the outcome is not happening what I want? Even when what God did is no longer there. And every relationship in your life, including your relationship with God, is based on this one word, trust. You stop trusting your spouse, things fall apart. You stop trusting your friends, things fall apart. You stop trusting God, it's like trying to drive with the emergency brake on. You're not going to go very far. And so while you're in the waiting room, the question is, the question for me that I've been wrestling with is, do I trust God or his gifts? Do I trust God as the provider or just the provision? Do I trust God or am I just looking for his stuff? While we're waiting and watching, God builds trust in us. The third thing God does in us is he builds surrender. He builds a sense of surrender in us. Back in Matthew 2, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I would too, because they had just finished a wild roller coaster ride. Can you imagine this? You're somewhere in the east, east of Jerusalem. It could possibly have been hundreds of miles across the desert. And they go, hey, I'm going to follow a star. So get their friends together on camels. This is long before there was GPS and ways and, you know, reliable transportation. They got and they cross the desert following a star. The star disappears. They go and see the king, this guy, King Herod who's pretty much the most corrupt, bad dude around. We're not going to talk about Herod this year, but Herod was actually on the throne um, wrongly. He wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau, not a descendant of Jacob, like the rest of the kings. He was put on the throne by Rome, and he was down to his last straw. He only had one more chance before he'd be taken away. 
And so when he hears that there's a king, he's like, that's a threat. So you've got to go before this bad guy. Who decides he's going to kill all the kids in Bethlehem rather than risk one of them be king? And then the star disappears, and the star reappears, and then they're led there. And finally, they end up where they want to go. And of course, it says that they responded with great joy. Because when your roller coaster ends, when your waiting room is over, when that door pops open, you are filled with great joy. Because while you're on the ride, you're screaming with your, you know, hair flowing back. Because along the way, you feel out of control. (laughs) See, this is how most of us go through the waiting room. Kicking and screaming. Because we don't feel in control. If you're waiting right now, I promise you the one thing you don't feel is in control. Because it's a door that you can't open. Just, just kind of a uh, rhetorical question. When did you feel most out of control this year? When did you feel most out of control? And did you know that that was the place where God was closest to you? Did you know that was the place where God was most at work? Did you know that was the place where God was actually most in charge? You say, we want, we, we want all those things. We want to be close to God. We want God to be in control. We want him to be in charge. We just don't want what that also means, <laughs> which is that we're out of control. And as you follow God in the waiting room, you will ultimately end up at a crossroads. You can keep going down the path where you have to be in control, or you can start moving down the path of surrender. My friend Tony Elliott became a follower of Jesus in his early 40s. And this is where he got to. He said, Scott, I've been following, I've been following my own life for 40 years. I've been in charge. I've been in control. And now I realize that Jesus is who he says he is, and I have a choice. And the hardest part is I don't want to give up control of my life. I've been in charge for 40 years. And God's asking me to surrender to him. And it took him way too long, he would say, to make that choice. But today, he's leading worship at a church in Phoenix. Because he stopped going down this path and he started going down that one. The fourth quality that God begins in us is that quality of worship. Worship. While we are watching and waiting, God begins to build a worshipful heart and a worship moment in us. In the text, it says, and they went into the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came prepared to meet a king, and so they brought gifts that were worthy of that king. And they celebrated because their long journey, which may have represented weeks or months, finally was ended, and they found what they had been looking for. And some of you have experienced your waiting come to an end this year. What you were waiting on happened, and you know that feeling of that joy that happens when your waiting room finally ends. 
I told you a story last week about me going to work at Starbucks as an interim period in my life when I was waiting to step into a, a, a career that I've been preparing for. And, and that season at Starbucks ended, and I, I got hired in that job. And I can remember it was April, and I finally got that opportunity to leave Starbucks behind. I hung out my apron, and I said, I am not making a caramel frappuccino ever again in my life. And I never have. And I never will. Um, but I hung it up and I started that job with that church. And two months later, we had a moment like we have with Jamie right now. And that pastor said, I'm retiring. And we're going to start a search for a new pastor. And it felt like everything that had been going forward met a giant pause button. It felt like we were stuck. Everything I prepared for, and it was like, Seriously? And that search committee looked for a new pastor for two years. Felt like forever. And in that period, uh, I was leading a ministry within that church. And uh, we were reaching college students and young adults who weren't connected to church. And we were trying to reach them. We weren't actually doing a really good job. And um, we came to the conclusion that our, our team was burned out. I was burned out. We'd made some bad decisions that had come home to roost. And so I made the hardest decision ever that we closed down that ministry. And for some people, it was their church. And um, I lost a lot of friends in that decision. We literally had to write people out of our will in that decision. Because they wanted nothing to do with us. And while I was in that period, I have to tell you, I didn't wait well. I'm not doing this series because I'm like the expert waiter at Cornerstone. <laughs> I'm doing it because I've failed at waiting so many times. And I have so much to share because I've learned it the hard way. And I can remember I was, I was so frustrated. I'm like, can you guys just not find a pastor? Can we just make some decision to do something, to change something? I felt like we were just on, we were stuck in every way. And um, I, was, I was applying for new jobs again. And I can remember a friend of mine, uh, this guy right here in this picture, Andy Gray. He's the tall guy next to me. He was running that search team for our next pastor. He took me to lunch, and he let me vent to him for an hour. And I just whined. I mean, I was in, it was an hour of me just blah, 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 blah. And he's a good friend. He was a good friend. He passed away two years ago. He let me vent. And then at the end, he said to me the same thing he'd been saying to us for two years. He said, Scott, you got to keep trusting. And you got to stay faithful. And in that moment, it sounded like a cliche. Keep trusting. Stay faithful. But I knew Andy meant it. And um, I gave it my best shot. And I have to tell you that while I was in that waiting, God started doing something. And finally, when that door opened and that lead pastor arrived, I looked back. And this is what's going to happen to you if you're waiting. I looked back and I go, oh, that's what you were doing. You see, I was burned out. I wasn't in a position to lead myself or anybody else. And God was healing me. I was cynical. God was healing me. I was waiting and God was preparing me. And when that new person arrived, I got a promotion on my second day in his office. And the promotion I got 
is what led me here. If he hadn't shown up and promoted me, this church would have never found me. And what I wanted to end became the place where God did his best work. I was in the lobby last Sunday, and one of you guys came up, and you make some great comments in the lobby. I just love listening to you. And uh, one of the people in the lobby said, Scott, are we ever totally free from waiting rooms? She said, we start out as a kid, and we want to go to school, and we want to grow up and get a driver's license, and then we want to get a car, and we want to start our life, and maybe one we want to have a family, or we want to travel, and it's just waiting room after waiting room after waiting room. She said, and as followers of Jesus, we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Or waiting for us to go to him. She said, we're always in the waiting room. At first heard that go, that's, that's really cool. And then I kept thinking about it, and I'm like, man, that really stinks. Because <sighs> I don't weigh well. And you don't weigh well. But you want to know the good news for people who don't wait well? That even when we are not faithful in our waiting, God is faithful in his coming. And you might say, Scott, I have not waited well at all. I know. I haven't either. But guess what? Our God is so big, and our God is so sovereign, And our God is so committed to us that even when we are not faithful in waiting and watching for him, he comes anyway. So if you haven't waited well, don't get discouraged. And if you think that God is not going to come because you didn't wait well, (laughs) friends, you're not that important. You're not that powerful. And God's coming doesn't depend on your perfection. It depends on your imperfection. He comes. He comes. So what's next? Well, on the back of your handout, I've given you some things to think about this week as you wait. And the first one is this. What am I waiting and watching for? What are you waiting and watching for? What is that room that you're in? And what are you watching for God to do while you wait? Number two, what is God doing in me while I am waiting? I hope by this point in this series you recognize that God does some of his best work in the waiting room in us. So how is God at work in you while you are waiting? Number three, what have I seen God do while I've been watching and waiting? Maybe it's time for you to get your eyes off of yourself and broaden your vision and go, oh my gosh, I may not be getting what I want. I may not see that God is doing that one thing I want him to do, but he is at work all around me. What is he doing? And then number four, what's my next step of trust and obedience? What's the next thing God wants you to do while you wait? So many of us, we have these great plans, you know, maybe you already have your goals for 2020, you know, good for you. But let's not overcomplicate things. What's the next thing that God wants you to do? And in my experience, when you take that step, he reveals the next one. One thing that's so hard about this season is that we tend to get caught up in the baby Jesus. And we forget that he didn't stay a baby. 
we forget that that manger wasn't the end of the story. It was the beginning. And Jesus came not just as a baby, not just to be with us, but to die for us. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came to give his life so that we could begin a new one. And in our imperfection, to be our perfection. And, and this week, one of our team members at Cornerstone reminded me of a truth. You know, in 2 Peter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We've been talking about how we've been waiting on God. But friends, here's the truth. God's been waiting for you. And there's some of you here today and some of you watching online that God has been waiting for you. He's been waiting for you to surrender your life to him. He's been waiting for you to trust him for the very first time. He's been waiting for you to stop kicking and fighting and screaming and trying to solve it all yourself. For you to embrace your need and your brokenness for a savior and to trust in him. And maybe it's time not for God to end the waiting room, but for you to end the waiting room by giving your life to him. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.